This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. I am here at the American Atheist Convention in Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm joined now by uh, Matt Dillahunty. Thank you for uh, coming in. Yay, thanks. So um, I actually am really excited to interview. I've been stalking you and your wife all weekend trying to get you in the boardroom um, because actually I, um, not to start this interview off by talking about me, which, you know, here we go. Um, I became, I was an atheist in college, mm-hmm. but um, after starting to read the Friendly Atheist blog in 2011, that kind of led me to um, the Nonprofits podcast and the Godless Bitches podcast. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of when I took the plunge into like, being obsessed with atheism and reading all about it. So it's, I don't know, like the, that podcast really just hit home because it was my first experience that like I didn't grow up in a, a place where I saw the dangers of religion necessarily. Right. And it was the first time like hearing these stories of like how dangerous religion actually is. So thank you. Cause yeah, thank you. I, I'm always, you know, I run around, uh, I get to do what I love to do now. Yeah. Um, uh, and people will come up and say, oh, thanks so much. The, the work that you guys have done on the show or the debates and the podcast, um, they've been very helpful, and that's great. Yeah. Uh, and the one thing I always tell people, because uh, occasionally somebody's like, oh, you changed my life. And I'm like, no, you changed your life. <laughs> I'm just a guy who likes to talk a lot, and you had you had to be willing to listen and, and yeah. being open to changing your and mind. And seek it out yeah. and, and all that good stuff. So um, I know you guys, <clears throat> excuse me, what's your what's the call-in show that you guys do on Sunday? The Atheist Experience. experience. Uh, And that one's on uh, cable, on public access, at least for now. Yeah. And then streams live to the world. Yeah. And so you have people calling. Do you tend to get more Christians or more atheists who just want to talk to somebody? So early on, so the show's been on for like 18 years, and Mm -hmm. I've been hosting it for 10. Mm -hmm. Um, When I first started, we would get more theistic callers, and we got more callers from the Austin area because it was on cable. Right. And we started streaming it to the world, and all of a sudden the the calls started shifting to where we were getting more and more calls from outside of Austin. Now it's rare that we get a call from within Austin as well. Oh, interesting. We we do have four phone lines, and there was a point where, I think there were a couple weeks, where we got no theistic callers at all, where it was just atheists calling in. And do they just want to talk to somebody, or do they actually have questions, or are they... Just want a platform? Some of them just wanted to say, you guys are awesome, we love the show. And I'm like, <laughs> stop, yeah, I appreciate that, but stop doing it because you wouldn't love the show if it was just people calling right. in to say how, like, how much they love the show. Send me an email, buddy. Yeah, it's, it's great. And I, you know, it's, it's don't get me wrong, I, I love doing the show, I got no plans to quit. Um, but with four phone lines, we'll, what we started doing was saying, we'll take calls from anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we we're keeping at least one line, and now I think it's two th- that are just open for theists. Oh, okay. And so if we get two atheists on lines like one and two, mm-hmm. then if another atheist calls in on three, it's you know, sorry, we're keeping these lines open for theists. Yeah. Um, but quite often, you know, it's not like atheists are a hive mind that agree on everything. Mm-hmm. So 
the fact that someone happens to not believe in a god doesn't mean that they don't have something to call in about, right. to have a discussion or a debate that's uh-huh. that's worthwhile. So, uh, it, you know, it's, 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 it's the call screener is probably the most important person on the show. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you uh, grew up. Were you religious growing up, or I oh think, yeah, crazy. Well, crazy is probably not the right word for it, I, and I should probably scrub that from my vocabulary anyway. Um, I was a fundamentalist Southern Baptist um, for at least 25 years or so. I, I remember walking down the aisle at, a, at the age of around five at a revival and accepting Jesus into my heart. And then in my teen years, I started to understand or have a better understanding uh-huh. of the religion, and I realized, holy cow, you know, how could I have understood this at five? I couldn't have, you know. Right. So, so clearly all this now time... Now that I'm I, 14, I'm yeah, much more sophisticated. Exactly. <laughs> I'm 14 now. That means all these years I've thought I was saved and I wasn't, so I better do it now. And then I better do it again and, and again, because, you know, you get in this little cycle of you're not living right for God, and then you, you yeah. go and you... So that was... I, and I was not forced... Well, I say I wasn't forced to go to church... I went to church voluntarily um, and eagerly for most of my teen years. Um, my friends were there. We did a lot of good things, mm-hmm. or what things that I thought were good. And I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night visitation, Wednesday night church, um, Thursday night, I think, was youth group, and then occasional Fridays and Saturdays. The only time I was forced to go to church when I didn't want to was Sunday morning, and that's just because I'm not a morning person. It's not like no, I, I didn't. I was ready to go to church. I just didn't want to get up. I thought Sunday was the big one, or is that not? That's yeah. That's why I was forced to go. If Sunday wasn't oh, a big yeah. deal, they'd just let me sleep. <laughs> um, but you know, people are like, "Oh, your parents forced you to do all this." No, actually, I think I went to church and did more stuff with the church than my parents did. Oh, interesting. Um, not that they wouldn't have. It's you know they. My dad had a job. You know? um, and so when did you kind of start having doubts about it? So I joined the Navy uh, because, like many of the kids in my youth group, I thought that God wanted me to be a preacher, and I was terrified of public speaking, which is incredibly <laughs> ironic because now I don't shut up. Um, and, and I never get stage fright anymore. I mean, I was anxious about the show that I was doing last night because yeah. it's a bit different, but... Yeah within like a minute of, you know, showtime, I was okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that wasn't the question. Uh, I, I was terrified of public speaking. I didn't want to be a preacher. Mm-hmm. So I left, I joined the Navy. I did eight years in the military. Um, and then I went and worked in the tech industry. I worked for Dell for a number of years mm-hmm. and I lost my job and I lost my job because I was too good at it. Whoops. I basically worked myself out of a job. This is, you know, when you, when you're working alongside people with degrees and experience and seniority and you don't have any, you work a little bit harder. And then it turns out uh, I got all my work done early and just around the time they were deciding to have layoffs. And they're like, we don't have any work for you to do. And I was pissed. Uh And I said, I don't want anything to do with the tech industry. And I went, I was, I was definitely depressed. I don't, I don't think I suffer from chronic depression, but situational. When I'm unemployed, I'm not a good person, um, you you know, to myself. Yeah. And I sat there and I thought, this is punishment. God wanted me to be a preacher. I rejected that. I rebelled. I went and did time in the military. I didn't care about God or church. I believed, but I just ran around and did what I wanted to Uh do. 
And then I, did, I had my career in the tech industry, and I was so concerned with materialistic things and, you know, making a career um, that God decided he'd take it all away and put me back where he wanted me. And I said, okay, I give up. Uh-huh. I give up. God, if you want me to be a preacher, I'll do it. Uh-huh. And I spent about a year and a half in really serious prayer and study. And my uncle was a former missionary mm-hmm. and medical doctor, and I talked to him about some stuff. And I had some minister friends that I interacted with. But my roommate at the time was an atheist. And we were best friends. We still are. And we had agreed to not talk about this because we wanted to stay friends. Yeah. And then I realized, if I'm going to get serious about God, and I'm going to be the best Christian I can be, I can't get to heaven and have God say, why is this guy who you love like a brother in hell? Why uh-huh. didn't you do your job? So I set out to figure out how to convince an atheist, and that backfired spectacularly. <laughs> we, he and I never even had a conversation. The first, first conversation we had about this, because I'm sitting here, I'm studying, I'm like, I've got to find out, figure out a way so that Sean doesn't burn in hell. Uh-huh. You know, that was my goal. And I remember we were working at the same place, and we, were, we drove home from work one day, and I said, I think I'm kind of agnostic. <laughs> and he goes, okay. <laughs> that was it. And then shortly thereafter, it was, I think it was about a, I think I had about a week of identifying as an agnostic before I realized that, you know, that's not me. Uh, that, and we don't have to go into the label stuff. But I was uh, very quickly atheist. I was started writing stuff online. Uh-huh. And he just kind of sat back and watched this process. And he's, don't be wrong, he's been an atheist for ages. Uh, he's not active in the community, but he fully supports you know me doing this. Uh-huh. He knows that I love it. He congratulates me when I do stuff. But he's got his life to live, and I, I understand that, that what I do and the things that you do, mm-hmm. they're not for everybody. Right. And I'm happy with people who quietly support from the sidelines as well. I would prefer that everybody be out and look. We're here. We deliver your mail. We write your software. We yeah. replace your kidneys. Uh, there's no reason to hate us. Right. But it's not the world. Uh, where everybody feels comfortable with it or even a, a need to do that. Yeah, for sure. Do you ever deal with with burnout in terms of, like, the atheist stuff that you're just, like, reading the same shit over and over <laughs> and, like, I can I cannot read one more time about somebody talking about how women are submissive and the worst. Like, do you ever feel... Like, I used to get... When I blogged more, um, I don't blog as much on the site anymore, but I would just get fried on it. I just... I remember when I first started with the atheist community of Austin, uh, so some, I was writing things and somebody said, oh, there's this TV show in town, you should check it out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why would I want to watch a show with a bunch of people who agree with me? Yes. What, what, what good is that? And I watched uh, and I loved it and I loved the interaction and I got involved mm-hmm. and I started working with the show and then very shortly I ended up as president of the ACA and the librarian and doing the atheist experience TV show every week yeah. and the nonprofits. And as many other things as I could do. And uh, one of the co-hosts on the show who'd been involved in this for a number of years said, don't take on too much. Mm -hmm. You're going to get burnout. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't seem to get burnt out. I'm pretty good at, I I mean, I'm busy. Yeah. But I'm pretty good at finding me time. Like, I've played a truckload of video games and watched lots of TV over the last 10 years, too, (laughs) and held a full-time job and did the volunteer stuff. It's, um, I I, I don't know. I'm I'm passionate about it. One of the things that that I try to keep in my mind is that, you know, we, we come to the convention and Silverman asks everybody, 
if this is your first convention, raise your hand. Uh-huh. And, I, and I'm always shocked by how many hands go up. I'm expecting to show up at a convention where there's like 10 hands that go up. The and same it's, people it's like three-fourths of the, this is their first major convention ever. ever. Yeah. And that really excites me, mm-hmm. and it reminds me. So when I do the TV show, I'm trying to remember, yes, I've heard this argument a thousand times, but this is somebody's first time watching the show. Yeah. And when people ask me about debating, we did the workshop the other day, I said, you know, the most important things, uh, figure out what your motivation for doing this is. Mm-hmm. And if it's not because you care about other people in the world we live in, mm-hmm. stop, because I don't need your help anymore. Yeah. Um, if, if it's, I legitimately give a damn about what kind of world I live mm-hmm. in. And you don't want to just be like the smartest guy in the room. You want to. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's I, I get that. And I get the frustration that a lot of people express. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't, at least so far, I haven't got to the point of, of serious burnout. Now, I have scaled back on some things. Like, yeah. um, I'm not president of the ACA anymore. Uh, that was partially, I, didn't, I decided not to run because I had some concerns that I might be holding the group back, that I was doing so much that I wasn't doing anything for the ACA. So uh-huh. let's let other people get in and do stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're doing great. And, um, you know, I don't do nonprofits anymore. Um, but I'm, I have, and I'm not on the TV show as much because I travel. Yeah. But I'm doing a lot of stuff, and I'm, I'm doing good stuff and stuff that I enjoy, and, and people seem to appreciate it. So I, I, I'll do probably do this till I die, unless we fix the world before I die. Here's hoping. Yeah. So do you find uh, when when people call in, when, when theists call into your show, do you think it's from a sincere place of like? Is there? Do you change people? Do you find that you change people's minds ever? So it's incredibly rare to change somebody's mind over the course of a single call. Sure. And usually, when that happens, I suspect that we've got a prank caller, and we get a lot of those. Mm. And uh, it used to irritate me, but I, I don't mind so much. Um, I'd rather we didn't. You know, get the pose calling in to yeah. pretend to be. The thing is, you can't tell the difference, and somebody out there believes what that person believes. Yeah. And what we know about the interactions is that. If you see someone who shares your views mm-hmm. humiliated yeah. or make a fool of themselves and mm-hmm. represent it poorly, that causes you to perhaps do some extra work. And the times that I know that a, people's, people's minds have been changed, one of the most, uh, I guess, strong results is they'll seek to prove me wrong. They'll mm-hmm. stop calling in and they'll say, oh, this guy's wrong and I'm going to prove it. And yeah. they'll set out to put together a compelling argument and they end up changing their own mind. And I'm a huge fan of the Socratic method, ask questions, get Mm -hmm. people to come to the realization on their own. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Oh man, I completely, but but yeah, there to, to answer the actual question, you know, I've got over 10 years, there are thousands of emails from people who are like, Oh, I used to be a Christian, Hindu, a Muslim, Mm -hmm. a Scientologist. Uh, uh, now I'm not, um, I Wait. used to identify as an, an agnostic. Now I don't. I, I didn't identify as a skeptic, and now I do. I mean, this is the people who think that this is futile. Why are you wasting your time talking to them? You are absolutely wrong. First of all, I didn't need to, con- to change anybody's mind to know they were wrong because right. my mind was changed. Right. So yeah. clearly people can change their mind. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorites was a, I did a debate in um, Amarillo, Texas, and this uh, 12 or 13-year-old girl came up afterwards, and she said, my folks are atheists, uh, but they let me 
go out and explore whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so they've taken me to all these different religious events and, um, you know, I've, I've heard a bunch of stuff from different sides, but, but because of the debate tonight, I'm an atheist. And I was like, I win. I'll do, I'll do 20 years of shows to get one little girl to reason her way yeah. to reality. That's really cool. Are, um, so you do a lot of debates and things like that. Mm-hmm. Does it get frustrating? Do you feel like they're, especially if you're dating, some, dating somebody, debating somebody who's being kind of intellectually dishonest, which I feel like is pretty common? Yeah, it's... I'm, I'm reluctant... Unless I've got really good, strong evidence that they are, in fact, being deceptive. Mm-hmm. If it's just sort of cognitive dissonance, if it's mistakes in their thinking, um, then they're just human. And I look at them, they're a victim of being human just like the rest of us yeah. are. Uh, I absolutely love debates. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter to me how frustrating my opponent might be uh-huh. to other people as well. Uh, I I try to have a good time. I try to be... I'm, I'm, I'm my own harshest critic, so I try to get better at it. And yeah. When I leave the show, I'm replaying the show in my head and saying, oh, you should have said this. Oh, you dumbass, you should have said this other thing. Yeah, I do and, that too. And then when I do a debate, I I end up reviewing it. And I, now I'm actually, like, I did a debate here in Memphis a year ago with Seiton Bergenkate. So I lived the debate, which was pretty painful. <laughs> um, I then watched it again to see how it came off. Then I watched it again with my wife. And then I did a series of four videos deconstructing the debate to show mistakes that we both made, Uh because you can learn from anybody's mistakes. And now I'm completely done with that debate and (laughs) and with Cy. Um, There are people who I will debate again, like uh, I'm debating John Ferrer for I think the third time uh, in Tennessee sometime, I think November, early November. And I love John. I mean, you know, we disagree, mm-hmm. but we can have a good conversation. And he's so far the only debate opponent who has actually changed my mind on a point during a debate. Oh, you really? Know, what said, was it? Uh, I had thought that I had cleverly come up with a solution to the is ought problem. And John pointed out that I was actually smuggling in a hidden ought. And he was correct. And I said, you know, I think during the debate I said... Uh, okay, I think you might be right. I'll have to think about this some more. But afterwards, um, he was right. And the thing is, acknowledging that I was wrong about something and changed my mind, good thing, Mm -hmm. looks good. Yeah. It's what I try to encourage people to do. And it didn't in any way affect which one of us was correct or had a better argument for whether or not a God exists. Mm -hmm. Um, This was a, a secondary issue. Yeah. Um. And people are like, oh my gosh, you know, if you're wrong and, and they're right about X, you've just like lost the debate because then, then it shows that they're smarter than you. No, not quite. Um, it shows that the two of us came to, to different conclusions or that my, I might have made a mistake and that I'm willing to own up to that mistake. Yeah. It's not like God became real just because I didn't solve a problem in philosophy. <laughs> you know? So, uh, God, two. A year and a half ago now, when Bill Nye um, debated the guy with the giant jacket whose name is escaping. Ken Ham. Ken Ham. He's um, got a book. Oh, does he? Yeah, the Bible. Oh. Um, so he got, uh, Nye got a lot of uh, criticism that, like, why would you engage this guy? It's not, what do you say to that? So I was probably one of, so I was opposed to the, him doing this. Oh, okay. Um, 
I don't want, well, first of all, Bill isn't a scientist, so I was, I was more okay with it than I would have been if it was like Dawkins, because I don't want scientists engaging creationists. Yeah. This is, this is not an issue that is worthy of scholarly debate. Right. I'd rather have scientists teaching people science and doing science. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill was probably the best choice for it. Mm-hmm. And I thought he did a good job. I, as I watched the debate, I watched it upstairs. My wife was downstairs, and she heard me scream <laughs> because I, as a debater, there were a couple of critical mistakes that he made that I expected Ken Ham to capitalize on. Uh-huh. It turns out Ken Ham is just like the world's worst debater <laughs> and did not capitalize on any of those, and so it worked out well. But the, my objections to, at the beginning was, no matter what happens with this debate, Ken Ham wins. Because if, he, if it looks to the public like he won the debate, mm-hmm. then he gets to go to his base and say, see, this is what we need to do. We're winning. Now we need more money so that we can do this more. Yeah. And if it looks to the public like Ken lost the debate, he gets to go to his base and say, hey, they're winning. We need more money to fight them. Yeah. And this is a payday all the way around mm-hmm. for Ken Ham and uh, his institute, which was in financial struggles. And... I was right, as was everybody else who said that. They got quite a bit of money out of it. This yeah. is this debate may be the most watched debate in history outside of presidential debates. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were multiple feeds with millions of people watching. Yeah. Now, in hindsight, despite the fact that they got money, and they'll probably still go bankrupt trying to build this ARC thing, um, I think, in hindsight, I'm fairly glad that it happened uh-huh. because a lot of people saw it and because they the creationists came off uh, so poorly during yeah. that debate. There was a debate I did on Christian radio in uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul. They, they've had me on a couple times. And they said, oh, would you come on and debate Ray Comfort? I was like, sure. Yeah. You know, And Ray came on and said... I don't have any interest in proving that God exists. I'm just here because I love Matt and don't want him to go to hell. And so we didn't. he didn't actually debate Yeah. Uh, and didn't make points. And people were like, oh, my gosh, aren't you upset? Wasn't that a big waste of time for you? No. Because I was on drive-time Christian radio in Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh-huh. where Christian moms and their Christian kids were driving through traffic listening, and their representative looked like a buffoon. And I looked like someone who was coming in there reasonable, coming in willing to have a discussion, and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I'll take that. Do you think that the fact that you come from a religious background kind of lends more merit in the eyes of like Christians who you debate? In, in some cases, yes. I mean, the, the people ask me, don't you regret all those years that you spent? No, I don't. Because mm-hmm. I couldn't do what I do now if I hadn't spent these years doing it. Yeah. And, you know, while I love you know, Dawkins and Krauss and all these these individuals who are really good communicators. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're standing in front of a fundamental, group of fundamentalists, a, a church, I did three nights of debate in a church in San Antonio, a church, uh, church of Christ, and you pick an atheist to stand up there and have this debate in a church. Yeah. Uh, as much as I like those guys, I'm going to do better than they are mm-hmm. because it's too easy for these individuals in the church who have been fed misinformation, who don't understand science, to just write them off as these are the intellectual elite. These are the people who have, you know, they don't understand yeah. our religion. They've never lived it. They don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And when I get up there, um, it's much harder for many of them to do it. Now, some of them can write them off, write me off as, oh, well, you were you were part of the wrong religion or you were never really saved. Right. But you didn't believe properly. Yeah. Yeah. 
but they, what they can't say is, you don't know the Bible, because mm-hmm. I do, and better than most of them. Uh, they can't say, I've never met an atheist who was able to defend their position. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't, I, I can still put on my kind of Christian thinking cap a little bit. Yeah. And that's useful. But as somebody who lived this, mm-hmm. I think it resonates. I'm kind of, kind of the, I'm, I'm under credentialed and, <laughs> and I don't have the vocabulary of somebody like Hitchens because yeah. who does? Right. <laughs> um, so my th- my entire purpose right now is, is to kind of take the complex concepts within philosophy and theology and distill them down so that almost everybody can understand them. Uh-huh. And um, even some of the best science communicators who can do that with science concepts mm-hmm. fail at that when they get into re- religion because they're dismissive of the philosophy or they're, you know, oh, this is so obviously wrong. Why, why would I need to explain how absurd Pascal's wager is? Right, yeah. Um, are you of the the ilk? Are, do you want to see religion completely go away? Yes. Or, yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. Right. Um, I th- I think so. I view religion as kind of like a byproduct of the way our brains work mm-hmm. uh, in a bunch of complicated ways. But I don't think we're ever going to be perfect thinkers. I think we're just going to get better and better. Yeah. And what I see is hopefully uh, religions. We know religions change. Mm-hmm. Um, there are tons of dead religions, and I think the ones we have today will be dead, and there will be new religions that take their place. Mm-hmm. And generally what we're going to see is, I think, once the battles... So the battle lines are going to get to the point where there are the extreme literalists, fundamentalists, and then everybody else is in this liberal, moderate, you know... We're, we're, oh, actually, I think we're going to lose the moderates. They're just going to go away. Yeah. And so there's going to be a, a greater divide. And ultimately, I think the current religions, Christianity, Islam, all Scientology, whatever, uh, will either completely fade away or they'll become roughly like the flat earthers. There's almost none of them, but they're still out there. I made a mistake on the show one time of saying, you know, nobody believes in Thor anymore. And of course, I hear from someone who says that they do believe in Thor and those gods. Really? Yeah, like one person and two of their friends. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I, I see it going that way. And in, I see it being replaced by the sort of woo stuff, the pseudoscience mm-hmm. stuff. The, you know, maybe, hopefully we won't be stuck with like crystal healing and reflexology forever. Yeah. Uh, but it'll be something similar. It'll be some kind of watered down, feel good. My bigger goal is to make sure that whether religions survive or not, even after the change that they don't have the power base to affect public policy yeah. and to dictate how everybody else can live their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm kind of of the mindset, like, I don't really give a shit what people want to believe, but I, my thing has always been the separation of church and state thing, and I find that to be appalling and frustrating, and I yeah. was really into um, writing the blog a lot during the 2012 election, mm-hmm. and I think that's when I started to get fried, because it was ju- it was like the... Uh, legitimate rape shit was going on and all of that and it's just like it's infuriating yes and it's you know the separation separation of religion and government I mean that's so one of the things is that atheism doesn't have any tenets there's Mm -hmm. no dogma there's no requirement that you believe something there's no pope of atheism yeah and so you could be an atheist and not support church state separation I think I think there are atheists like S.E. Cup who fall into that category yeah um and yet, 
almost every atheist organization on the planet supports separation of religion and government, mm-hmm. church-state separation. Um, and you can start adding to that without, without creating a litmus test for atheism. You can, mm-hmm. you can add in things. In, and no, like nobody complained when the atheist community of Austin did a blood drive or collected food for the homeless or, mm-hmm. or even li- made our position statements. I mean, we, we support church separation and we think be, there are positions that are derived from that yeah. um, on behalf of church separation. And it was fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you were just in Australia, is that right? Mm, yeah, for 20 days. It was awesome. Yeah, what, tell me all about it. Um, yeah, so Arn Ra uh, and Seth Andrews, the Thinking Atheist podcast. Mm-hmm. I keep tapping your mic. That's all right. um, the three of us kind of got together a couple of years ago, and and as a bit of a joke, it's not really a joke. We were serious about it, but we called ourselves the Unholy Trinity. Yeah. And we did a tour of a few cities, and immediately people were like, "Oh, how can we get you guys to come out and do this?" And it's really good. Uh, inevitably, though, I mean, it's still just three middle-aged white guys. Mm. And so I think this is this Australia tour is probably the end of the Unholy Trinity in its current incarnation, except we're getting together in Vancouver at Imagine mm-hmm. No Religion 5. Nice. And, and that will probably... Because I, you know, I, I don't... I, I love those guys like brothers, and we, we do well together. Uh, but I don't need to speak at everything, and the three of us don't always need to speak at everything. Yeah. Anyway, Australia was... Uh, Arne and I flew down and went to Auckland, New Zealand, just the two of us, and uh, did a talk there, met up with the local groups. Then the three of us did the tour for Sydney, Brisbane, and Melbourne. And then Seth and his family flew home, and then Arne and I went, went and flew all the way across to West Australia to Perth. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And and as soon as we added Perth, the people in Adelaide started sending me hate mail <laughs> saying, hey, we're the city of churches. Why won't you come here? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Okay, I'll, I'll try to come back, and I'll put Adelaide at the top of the list. <laughs> uh, but it was a great time. We, we had some uh, great venues, amazing people. Uh, the... the the religion and government issue there is a little bit different, and I think probably the thing they're facing most is some apathy and probably not legal restrictions that are properly set up to protect separation of religion and government. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, apart from everything in Australia being out to kill you and the fact that I almost lost a hand and got bit by a spider and had a tree, a snake fall out of a tree, what? Really? it was like the best trip ever. I got to hang out with quokkas and koalas and kangaroos and lots of uh, amazing people. Wait, I'm still thinking a snake fell out of a tree? Yeah, I was at Australia Zoo, which is someplace I've wanted to go forever. I was a huge Steve Irwin fan and I, I've raised snakes for years. Um, and I'm walking along the path and a little brown tree snake, uh, not venomous, fell out of a tree about 10 meters up and landed splat on the oh pavement. Oh my God. And then... <laughs> Propped up and looked around and then scurried off into the... And I got part of it on video. It was, it was fun. But oh, that was the minor one. I got bit by a little spider, had allergic reaction. Uh, I grabbed a stage door in Sydney right before I went on stage to pull it close. And it was huge. It was like 20 foot tall by 25 foot. And I grabbed the backside of it. <gasps> and there's a shear point between the door and a brick wall. And my hand got in there and the door's got a lot of momentum built up. I barely got a foot and my other hand there to stop it. My wrist was swollen up for a couple, three days. Um, 
And it was ironic because I got up on stage and I did a one-man play kind of uh, as God, talk, going, starting with Genesis and everything keeps failing for him and going wrong. And it <laughs> ends with him rec- you know, seeing me and like, you know, oh, Dylan, he's down there mocking me. I'm going to smite you. I'm going to smite you. And I was like, oh, if I'd have lost my hand right before I went on stage, that would have been pretty ironic. But evidently his, his aim and effectiveness is just as bad in Australia as it is everywhere else. That's so funny. Well, last night you did, I didn't know you did Magic and Mentalism mm-hmm. too. Um, you did that show last night. Do you have like, do you have just a bag of tricks in terms, not magic tricks, but in terms of like, sometimes you, obviously you debate, sometimes you do the song and magic stuff. Yeah. I, well, I've got a lot of, I'm, I'm kind of a hobbyist. I'm, I'm kind of the jack of all trades, master of none type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I tend to get obsessively into certain things. So, like, you know, I ran the number one Counter-Strike team in the world for a while with my roommate, and I, I've, I've done a lot of video game stuff, but I've been doing magic since I was about five. Uh-huh. And uh, I wanted to be a professional magician when I was a teenager. I did shows at the church and the old folks' home and things like that. But if you're going to make a, a living at it, you've got to probably do kid shows. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mentioned that last night during the show, but I was, I was serious. It's just not me. I, I mean, I liked the close-up stuff better. I liked smart yeah. magic. And uh, that's what I did for the most part. Mostly I'm a collector, and, you know, I'll, I'll have effects and tricks and stuff that I do for friends. But as I got more stage time, and I'm talking more about atheism, I also realized that, you know, I needed to spend time talking about skepticism and humanism as well. Yeah. And now I have more time for it. But I, I came up with, uh, there was some talk somewhere where it, it just, I knew a trick that I had done before would make the point perfectly. Mm, mm-hmm. So I started m- working more and more into it. And I have a number of friends who are, you know, professional magicians in the community and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I decided at a PostaCon, I guess, two years ago, mm-hmm. that I'd just do a magic show. And it was it went really well, and people liked it. And so the American Atheist asked me if I would do something similar here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did. I was up till, I don't know, 4.30 in the morning reworking it because it's a shallow stage with a really wide yeah. viewing angle. So it was hard to... I had to figure out how's everybody going to see everything. Uh-huh. Um, but it's a bit of fun. I, I, I'm... I love doing it. I like I like it if it can teach something, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a way to entertain people. And I don't know. I guess it's also a way to show off. I'm not without ego. I have fun <laughs> when I'm up there. Yeah, for sure. I've always thought I, I didn't know until I kind of got more into the community that like magic and skepticism really like run side by side. Oh yeah. I think that's really interesting, and I, I mean, it makes sense now that I think about it. But I don't know. Is it? Why do you think that is? Besides. Well, it's far from perfect, but I mean, when when you're in this field and you're seeing how people deceive themselves and Mm -hmm. how you can exploit that, um, you either end up being a magician Mm -hmm. or some sort of con artist. (laughs) And, um, you know, the the James Randi documentary on Honest Liar is is out in Mm. various places. Have you seen it? I have not. It's going to be playing in Austin this Friday, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go see it then. But I'm at UT San Antonio on Friday. I've actually seen it twice, and it is incredible. I can't wait. It's Um, so good. But when, you know, so you, you get to where you understand this stuff. I remember I did a card trick for... Uh, some guys when I was in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And one of them freaked out and said, you know, 
how do you do, how do you, can you, how can you stand to have the dark powers running through you to do that? No. And at the time I was a Christian and I was like, I don't want this guy thinking I'm demon possessed. Yeah. So I was like, no, 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 here's how I did it. I, I showed him the secret to the trick. And he said, that's not what you did the first time. So he was locked into this idea that yeah. I, even though I could have done it without the, without the demonic powers, that I used demonic powers to do it. And even among magicians, you know, skepticism is not a cure-all. It's not a, a guarantee that you're going to think correctly. It's just an attempt to try to think correctly. Right, right. And so, like, you know, you look at somebody like Doug Henning. Uh, for a while, the most famous and popular magician in the U.S. in the mid-'70s. Mm -hmm. um, he's dead. And he's dead in part because... He fell into the trap of some magical thinking with respect to transcendental meditation mm. and didn't get proper treatment for his condition. Or at least that's my understanding of the story. Right. I, I guess I can't uh, claim that because I didn't know him personally or, yeah. or what was going on. But um, I, there are Christian magicians. There are magicians who are into all sorts of supernatural stuff. And it's not that they don't know that some of this is fraudulent. It's that... We often have it as... A, there's a, there are people who hate magic and there are people who love magic. Yeah. And of the ones who love it, some of them are kind of really wishing for this supernatural world. You uh -huh. know? Oh, it's, maybe it's why we like Harry Potter so much and, and things like that. And for whatever reason, some people's minds perhaps take it a bit too far. Yeah. Um, but I think if you want to teach people how to think more critically... If you want to teach kids to appreciate skepticism, mm -hmm. magic is at least one of the ways sure. that you can try to encourage that. Yeah. I think I love that story about the card trick because I, um, in October, a buddy of mine, uh, Johnny Zavant, who's a mentalist, mm -hmm. I opened, I do stand-up comedy, so I opened his show for him. And so I sit in the back of the house and he came out and was like kind of glad handed a couple of the, the people who came in. And part of his shtick is he's like, these are tricks. I, It's practice. It's years and years of practice, you could do this if you, like, have the time. If you spent 40 years. Yeah, exactly. And this woman, after that whole thing, this woman, I watched this woman walk up to him and say, like, how long have you known about your special powers? <laughs> and I just, I don't get, I mean, obviously we're all fallible, but I do not get when people, he told you, he told you, he told you what happened, yeah. and you don't believe him, or... It's, it's something, you know, there's lots of discussions, and I'm not going to pre be pretending to, to be involved in them. There are things I've, I've heard secondhand. Darren Brown is probably the best mentalist on the planet right now. Mm -hmm. um, amazing guy. I, I actually did one of his effects at, a, at Apostacon. Um, I'm looking forward to meeting him. But he used to, magicians have to, you know, in the, in the process of, of explaining what they do, sort of, they, mm -hmm. they lie. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, you know, this is called patter, but I'm going to give you some explanation, and it's going to be garbage. You know, it's, oh, it's, it's this and that, or it's vague. Well, he used to mention neurolinguistic programming. Uh -huh. uh, part of what I do is, you know, NLP and things like that. And he's so good at what he does mm -hmm. that he was actually, there were people who were fans of NLP and promoters of NLP who would say, look, there's the proof that it works, Darren Brown. Uh -huh. And if you if you watch, I don't think he's mentioned NLP at all in the last five or six years, oh, because some people brought it. My understanding is some people brought it to his attention that 
by being so good at this and then crediting NLP, you're giving credence to something which is complete hogwash. You know, that to the extent that NLP works at all, it's nothing more than con- you would the process of convincing people mm-hmm. that you would normally use. Yeah. It's not like there's magic words that you string together. And, you know, <laughs> you know, we need to move this conversation in a new direction. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're getting late. I just... <laughs> Which is what some of the NLP advocates are, are pushing. There you go. Okay, um, so I, you've been more than generous with your time. We can find uh, your Patreon. Yeah, it's patreon.com slash atheistdebates. Okay. And it is uh, me uh, going through some of the classical arguments for the existence of God and how, how to think about them and how to respond. Also some kind of non-standard Arguments. So the last video I posted was "Y'all just want to sin," which is something we'll hear from theists quite often. Um, but in addition to that, I'm also doing interviews with other thinkers in the community mm. because, as much as I'd like for mine to be the only voice with regard to how to have these debates, I realize that I'm not always right, uh-huh. and it's good to hear from other people too. And the goal is not to create a whole bunch of little debate zombies that run out and have big formal debates and work from a script. Mm-hmm. It's to get people to a point where they actually understand the subject Mm -hmm. so that they can have a conversation with anybody, family, friends, whatever, and that they're not working off a script because that's what the other guys do. And the Uh best thing you can do is throw them off the script. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you'll join us next time.